Produced by Ranting Rhino Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. On this episode, we have Dr. Sally Vinden. Now, she was the recipient of the 2020 BC Campus Award for Excellence in Open Education. And in 2019, the Provost Award for Teaching Design and Practice that employs innovative practices for student learning, Vancouver Island University. She was also the recipient of the Dean's Award for Scholarship, Research, and Creative Activity in 2021. Sally holds a Doctor of Philosophy degree in Curriculum and Implementation Theory from Simon Fraser University, a Master of Education and Leadership, as well as a Red Seal endorsement and City and Guilds credential in the trade of hairstylist. Sally's educational journey has been far from traditional. Did you get that? Far from traditional. At the age of 16, she began her career as an apprentice hairdresser in London, England. I think her accent gives that away. Where she excelled in the industry. She has since immigrated to the west coast of Canada, where she gradually transitioned from hairstylist to educator. Following the completion of her doctorate in early 2020, Sally held a position of TVET-specific curriculum teaching and learning specialist at VIU. Now today, she is acting associate dean with VIU's Faculty of Trades and Applied Technology. She's been an advocate for the development and harmonization of trades in Canada, in Trinidad and Tobago, and in Kenya. Her unique educational journey from tradesperson to academic disrupts traditional thinking related to the academic slash vocational divide. Now, Sally believes the stigma attached to trades is misplaced. I agree. And no longer serves a purpose in the 21st century. Again, I agree. This belief is reflected in her work and her passion for the enhancement of TVET and is evident in her doctoral research entitled An Exploration of British Columbia's TVET Instructor's Perception that influence their curriculum choices. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce to you, Dr. Sally Vinden. Three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome back to Practice Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you have t- turned, tuned, turned, tuned in with us. <laughs> it's an early morning. I haven't had my full coffee yet. And, um, Glad you're here. And we have our special guest, Dr. Sally Vinden back for like the 16th million times on the podcast, but that's good. How are you doing, Sally? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been a a few of these, uh, yeah, podcasts and a few other things we've done together. So yeah, it's really nice to be back. Yeah. It's good to have you back. All right. Well, let's dive right into it because this is the Open Pedagogy series and uh, we want to get right into the topic. So Sally, could you define for me what you mean by open pedagogy. Yeah, I love, you know, I absolutely love this question. And I'm sort of going to backtrack in my journey of beginning to understand um, open pedagogy. And um, I think it was back in 2019. Yeah, 2019. I was heading to uh, digital pedagogies in Toronto um, with Jesse Stommel. Well, I wasn't going with Jesse Stommel. He was going to be there anyway. Um, But I was going with uh, 10 other folks from Vancouver Island University. And we were really quite fortunate at the time. Dr. Um, Lisa Kanak had actually invited us as a group um, to explore 
digital pedagogy, open pedagogy. And um, we spent a lot of time kind of had a book club really but we didn't call it a book club um where we read the urgency of teachers and of teaching and we would meet once every two weeks and we would discuss different aspects and so we didn't realize at the time but what was happening was Lisa was very kindly sort of preparing us to attend digital pedagogies so I remember, you know, arriving there and actually having this big question, what is digital pedagogy? And the first thing that um, really, um, I guess, shifted some of my thinking was that we spent three days at this wonderful hotel in um, in Toronto called the Gladstone. And there was no technology in any of the rooms. And so we had gone in there with this mindset of, oh, we're going to digital pedagogies lab. We're going to be obviously doing lots of digital using technology, but we didn't at all. And I think because of that, that has really um, resonated with me that open pedagogy is a philosophy. So for me, the tools that are available digitally now, when we look at that absolute smorgasbord of what we can use in our teaching and learning, we're using those to mobilize our belief and value around what it means to teach and what it means to learn. And that's for me where I start to think, okay, of open pedagogy is that philosophy. and you know me, I like to bring that back, ground it in theory. And you know, any I'm shame, it's a shame folks can't see us here because we are both grinning, knowing where we're going right now. Because yes, yes, it's by Gotskian. It is social constructivism. Yes, I've got it in there. We're only five minutes in, and I've already mentioned Vygotsky, but you know. I think that, um, you know, I work with, uh, you know, folks on the provincial instructors diploma. And at that stage, a lot of uh, new instructors are exploring or just, you know, dipping their toes in in their into educational theory. And we hear a lot about, oh, you know, I'm a humanist, I'm a uh, this is behaviorist or this is constructivism or social constructivism. But then we, what I've observed is folks don't always then apply their belief structure to their teaching practice. And what I see with open pedagogy is, you know, these lived examples that really represent social constructivism. And if, you know, I'll dig into my sort of understanding of, of that as well, is Social constructivism is, for me, is really recognizing the mediation that happens between the the more knowledgeable person and those that are have the desire to learn more. And in that sort of mediation between that subject and the object is, I think, this wonderful place where 
open pedagogy lives, it recognizes, it diffuses power differentials between the learner and maybe the more experienced, the more knowledgeable person. And, and so then that's when we can get into, oh, open educational resources. This is when we can get into using a non-disposable assignments. And that's when we get into more for me, the digital tools. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So in, you're also a, a very experienced tradesperson, not just in education, but you, you had a, a wealth of experience in, before you came into education. Tell me about that connection piece between open pedagogy and trades because on the surface it seems like the two should never meet yeah really good really good point there and and i think if um so gosh this is a big one because when we look at trades education and we look at um program outlines we see a very content-based curriculum. And if I dare to say, much of how we measure whether learning has um, you know, been achieved is through practices such as multiple choice testing, which really say that memorization is key here. Whereas um, if we look at, so we have that around the theory of trades education, and yet in our practice, those of us that have taught in the trades programs, we experiential learning is central to everything we do. And then when we look at the elements of experiential learning, and then we look at social constructivism, and we also look at open pedagogy, we see so many commonalities there. Um, and we don't see many contradictions. So that experiential learning of, you know, that opportunity to practice, to problem solve, to reflect, and to then revise what we've done. We see that cycle going on all the time. And, you know, in the field of um, hairdressing, whereas, you know, I spent many years teaching hairdressing. And one of the wonderful things with that is every time a client comes into the teaching salon, is that that client is a unique case study. Everybody has a different head shape. Their hair has different growth patterns and they have different textures. They also have different desires for the outcome. So they bring together all of these variables. And this is this opportunity where through the facilitation that we use, so we could, we could, teach hairdressing through or hair cutting, for example, or styling through procedural measures. But the outcome would show because of all those variables that are there. So when we think about the decisions that need to be made, we get into this wonderful experiential learning opportunity. But this is the piece where then when we measure that, when we look at program outlines for um, that lead to the red seal and how we assess the red, the red seal in many of the trades, then we actually shift from one educational theory to another. 
we shift over to the fact that memorization, that these multiple choice tests are going to measure the knowledge and skills over here that were performed. Some of the trades, um, like hairdressing and culinary, and I think there's a couple of others, do have practical exams as well. So I think you're right. Tim, when you say that, you know, how does open pedagogy fit within the trades? Because on the surface, you kind of go, hang on. If we look at the assessment tools that are used um, in the trades, then we can say this is so far away from open pedagogy. But if you look at the pedagogy in the teaching labs in the trades programs, so whether it be heavy duty mechanics, um, whether it be the baking program or the culinary arts program, the whole range of those programs, we see every day these lived examples of open pedagogy where the learner is actually, they're there constructing knowledge and understanding through how they interact with the problem in horticulture, for example, you know, the students are there growing a crop of uh, right now, growing a crop of poinsettias ready for the, you know, the holiday rush. Now, every day they're faced with different issues. For example, they a poinsettia has to have so many hours of darkness, complete darkness in order for it to turn red. But if we were to teach in a very procedural way, we would just have students perform the task of the blinds need to go down at this time. Instead of which we have, you know, different groups of students predicting based on their observations of the plants, of the pH of the soil, the nutrients, the temperature in there, they are actually predicting what needs to be. And they see the results. If, they, if there was an error, for example, there may have been a slight error a few years ago and the blinds didn't get closed for a few nights. So the plants didn't get their, um, you know, they didn't get their, required hours of darkness and then you see that the color change not happening so these for students to sit in if we go back a good few years where that may have been taught out of a textbook and then it would have been tested by them regurgitating that knowledge that to me is not the construction construction of understanding that is the repetition of what is already known. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So I know you don't speak for the uh, industry training authority, although many of us wish we could, um, and not in a disparaging way, of course, but uh, in, in, in that dichotomy of being a, being an apprentice out in the field and even in the training institution where they're going to be doing a lab or they're, they're in some kind of practical uh, application of what they're learning in their technical training at their institution. Why do you think there's such a break between what they do out in the world and what they do in school for certain periods of time while they're there and that ultimate gate that we call the red seal? Why do you think that that exists? Yeah, that is a great question. And, and one that we could talk about for hours, I'm sure. I think it is. Okay, so 
I remember Dr. Kieran Egan, um, who has recently passed away, actually, very sadly, but I remember Dr. Kieran Egan saying about the K-12 system, and he said, we spend a lot of time talking about how we can teach young people. How should we do this? And he said, the fact is, if we look around the world and we look at certain models, is that we already know how we can teach. He said, we already know. He said, but what we don't know and what we keep trying to do a better job on is how to teach large numbers of people for very little money. And so that sort of, and the wonderful thing, anybody who's listening that has the had the pleasure of, you know, talking to Kieran or read any of his books, which I really do recommend that you do if you haven't done already, um, is that Kieran knows that when we create a binary about something, that it really sort of allows us to see the extremes that are going on there and begin to question it. And you start to notice, yes, this is an example. Who is this serving? Who is this serving to put this many students together in one space? Is it serving the, you know, the learner? Is knowledge being able to be constructed? You know, all of these questions we have. And then we realize, no, this is this is a business model here. We're doing the best we can with the least amount of money. And so to answer your question, Tim, when I look at, okay, so how we measure knowledge and skills in the trades at this time with red seal exams that are multiple choice exams is I believe that if we were to look at other ways of doing this, ways that would be far more authentic, then we would find that it would be far more expensive. And so it gets moved off the table because I honestly believe whether you you know, whether you work for the Red Seal, the endorsement, the board there overseeing all of that, or whether you're in, you know, BC at the ITA, I don't think that there's anybody around that truly believes this is the uh, multiple choice test is the best measure of that person's knowledge and skills experience or anything else. I just think that if we look at alternatives, then we run into that. It's going to be way more expensive as it is with the Red Seal practical exam for hairstylists. The students, it's a seven hour exam, at a cost of $600 to each apprentice. So it becomes very expensive. And it takes a long time to develop, a long time to implement. And so I think that is why we're in this place where there's really not alignment with what our intended outcomes are and how we measure it. Um, but I think that I think that open pedagogy is shifting that. When I look at those in the trades that are exploring um, open pedagogical practices and that belief structure, the lived belief structure that these, these people in my classroom are knowledgeable, they're capable, these people want to be here in this in, engaging learning environment where they they are 
building um building resources that that they can take forward with them that co-constructing of knowledge and understanding they're not just studying for a test that you know two days later is in the whether it's the digital bin or the physical bin it's a whole different mindset so the increase that i see of those practices in the trades programs and, you know, it's a very grassroots kind of initiatives because we're just seeing these sort of little growth areas all around. And actually, that's a bit of a pun, really, because one of the great examples I've seen of this is in the horticulture department. <laughs> and what they um, and Christine Quist actually has a blog post on this, so we could link that in there. But in the horticulture program, going back to those poinsettias again, not only do the students have this full crop of poinsettias uh, on campus here that they need to grow, develop, take care of and actually sell. At home, they have grow tents. They have their own four poinsettias that they're fully responsible for. And what they do is they the dialogue is re, between the students is then shared on the blog post. And you see um, students reporting on the variables from these plants that they're growing at home. They experiment as well. They overwater, they overheat. They the, So they predict what will happen and then they report on it. So this resource now from these students is a resource that would be valuable to those out there in industry already growing poinsettias but it's also a resource not only did that learner have their own experience now the other 19 students in the classroom that knowledge is shared knowledge and when i think back prior to any idea of the non-disposable assignment or a you know ungraded assignment the you know what we're working on has far more value than a grade or um you know a regurgitation of what's already known what students are working on now actually is going to be valuable. It's contributing to what is already known. And so when I see that, I see the disconnect between that multiple choice test and what they're actually doing in their experience throughout the programs. Yeah, that's amazing. So if you if you could look into the crystal ball mm -hmm. five, five, 10 years down the road, how might you bridge those three different experiences experiences uh so there's what you just described to me it sounds and this is this is by no means um a disparaging remark but it sounds very much like those experiments we would do in elementary school where we would take on mm. a plant and yeah. perform all these different things on it um and so there's so much to be learned from that obviously but then they're joining that up with their pre-training experience that they've done out in the field mm -hmm. how do we how do we close, how do we, how do we bring those three experiences together? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, this sounds very similar to children taking home a plant and, you know, maybe watering it and, you know, reporting out on it. It does sound very similar to that. I think one of the things with open pedagogy that we 
you know, for me, I'm always very mindful of is this is not discovery learning. So if we come back to educational theory again, and I'm going to do this whole thing where really simplifying um, Piaget's understanding of constructivism to um, Vygotsky and understanding so of social constructivism. So for Piaget, the understanding was that cognitive development is biological. And also there's great examples of having learners together and the belief that if you put, you know, a group of children together, they will all figure it out that whatever they're trying to work on. Well, if we look at Vygotskyan theory, we'll see quite clearly, no, that doesn't happen, that you we always require a more knowledgeable person to mediate that understanding. So an example of this is, you know, if we take a group of children and we do, you know, have a glass of water and we drop a matchstick in it and the matchstick floats. And so then we take, say to the children, OK, now we've got a needle here and we're going to drop the needle in the water. Will it float? And, and you know, typically children will say, yes, it will. It's going to float because it's long and thin, but it doesn't. It sinks. Now. We need the science. We need the children to go that bit further. Why did it sink? Why did one long thin object float? And one, why did one sink? And I think this is the piece. Often when children take plants home from school, they do observe and they do report back and they've cared for this plant and, and there is learning there. However, it's very easy to develop spontaneous concepts there. So we have this spontaneous concept that, you know, long, thin objects um, will float, but we need to then get into the science of it. And so we, for me, open pedagogy cannot be discovery learning. We have to have the person there mediating mediating and asking those questions when the, when the, it, you know, when the knowledge that's being constructed actually is going into, yeah, like spontaneous concepts. We need to be able to then probe in there. And so something like a blog around the poinsettias, the, you know, the instructor will be there asking questions. So if there is an assumption being made, we still need to, we need to facilitate that the scientific principles are actually like we're guiding the, the learner towards them. We're not doing that direct instruction anymore where we're telling them what the science is and we want them to regurgitate it, but we're actually mediating that along the way. So now you've completely thrown me off because I've, oh, I've thrown myself off there on those children's plants. So, Tim, go back to that question. The question yeah. was, how do we bring three parts together? Yeah, how do, how do we bridge? From your perspective, how do we bridge the experience they get out in the field to new experiences in training to mm -hmm. the assessment of that at the end of their apprenticeship mm -hmm. so that it's a so that it's a smoother transition from essentially level one to exiting level four and into the world of being a journey person? Mm -hmm. Well, great question. 
I think that we can do it. And I think that we can do it um, well. And I think that open pedagogy, open educational practices are the platform that needs to be used. This is this is so pivotal. We wouldn't be able to make those changes without uh, access to, you know, technology and also this mindset around open pedagogy. So, for example, about two, I think it was about 2013, there was a study out of Red River College. Um, what they were finding was their welding apprentices were not returning to complete their um, complete their apprenticeships, take their red seal. And the reason why they weren't returning was because the workforce was absolutely work was thriving. Students were staying up north. They their bosses didn't want them to return to work. And oddly enough, we're seeing quite a lot of that now with industry absolutely booming. So this person, and I wish I could remember their name from Red River College, they actually piloted um, this apprenticeship level for welders. And so they had the welders there recording their welding skills by using having GoPro, not GoPros. That's a bit of the horticulture language by having GoPros in their welding helmets and actually videoing the welds that they were performing. So they were meeting the learning outcomes, the, the practical application of knowledge, learning outcomes there. That was then those videos were then sent along to their instructor back at Red River College, who could now observe them performing these skills in, in, you know, situated in the industry. The great thing about any kind of video recording is that we can slow it down, we can zoom in, and we can actually provide feedback to the split second of what we're talking about. And so, you know, people say, oh, no, you know, we need everybody in the lab. We need 18 apprentices in the workshop at one time and we have them do all these tasks and then we can line them up and look at them and give feedback. Well, we can, but let's be honest, I'm going to refer to hairdressing again. We have like 16, 18 students cutting hair all at one time. Or if I look over at the bake shop, just out the window here, the bake students, they're all baking bread at the same time. There's no way one instructor can observe that whole, you know, uh, performance of that service. So when I look at what they did in Red River College, and they were able to provide this feedback. And when they provide feedback in that mediated way, mediated construction of understanding, then they're asking more questions rather than just giving responses. So I see that happening. And this is bringing industry real life experience into assessing understanding. If that was then moved forward, and actually created into a portfolio. So a digital portfolio, I believe that we could measure the levels of understanding and the competencies that have achieved digitally without actually ever physically being you know, with this student. 
And when we think about the theory, how could we move away from these multiple choice tests? And I believe that we can do, well, I know that we can do because during electrical for um, uh, during COVID, our electrical department, for example, Damien Miles was creating, well, quite a lot of our instructors in many of the programs creating case studies. Now, a well-written case study really gets into, you know, that situational learning by having case studies that represent the concepts that we are saying are the intended learning outcomes. We provide this learner with um, the opportunity to to really um, show what they know and apply their understanding, and we can move completely away from um, multiple choice tests. The difference is that you cannot have a scantron measuring the, you know, what somebody has has written um, in their case study. That's tricky. The same as, I don't know, I think it will be Maybe, maybe there'll be a bot that can do this for us. I'm just thinking about videos, videos of welding. Um, we also in our cut in our baking department and culinary, we had students videoing their technical skills and uploading those back to the instructor. I don't think, I don't know whether we can take the human out of this and and then just have, you know, I think it's always going to need that human there, the other side receiving that. So can we do it? Yes, we can definitely do it. Will the outcomes be more authentic? I believe they will. Will it be more relevant to industry than the current way of assessing apprentices? I'm going to say 100%. So I think we have this incredible opportunity ahead of us um, I'd love to be in a room with, um, you know, I've listened to others, uh, the, uh, you know, others that have been on your uh, podcast talking about this. And I think to bring, if we were tasked with this, a whole group of us, and we were tasked to do this, I think that we could do it. I just think it's not going to be as mechanical, shall we say. So it's going to add a lot more time and energy, but um, I think it's required when we look at industry now, when we look at the apprenticeship model, um, we see that the apprenticeship model and the Red Seal exams are based on what industry said were the competencies five years ago. We know that's how long it takes to develop these exams. When I look ahead, I think that model is going to fail. Mm -hmm. And unless we find a way to measure what the industry needs now and prepare students for that, I don't think that, I think that we're going to get a You know, uh, there's going to be too much of a gap between what industry needs and what we're assessing. 
So I think this is a wonderful time to look at applying open pedagogy to the trades. And, and I wish that there was a trade that said, okay, let, let's pilot this. And let's, let's introduce, you know, authentic assessments um, and take an open pedagogical approach to trades training as well. And I think if we were to go out onto the, you know, the job sites, the workshop, that's already being lived. The disconnect is with the, the system we're using to measure it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, that would be a fundamental shift in the educational structure that we're in. Not just the business model, but you're you're asking for a fundamental shift in how faculty address their own delivery of the content. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and that I can see a connection there to how we actually do apprenticeship out in the field because it's very much hands-on one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three. Um, in certain situations, I think it's going to be different, but there's there's a closer connection to what I'm doing and what my journey person wants me to do as opposed to coming into, into technical training and now I'm paired up with somebody and I'm given a task to do and then I go and do it and I may not see my instructor for the whole day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right? So it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept to begin thinking through and how it will it really calls for a fundamental shift in what we're doing. And yeah, and I think, like you know, you. it is a fundamental shift. And I think this comes back to this whole piece. It, that shift is in, in many, you know, is going to be really disruptive to many because it's going to disrupt what some folks think it means to teach and it's going to disrupt what some folks think it means to learn. So it's a huge, you know, this, this fundamental shift and it is, it is a huge shift from one educational theory, which really, you know, behaviorism and content-based curriculum on one end of the continuum here, all the way to this social constructivist, authentic learning opportunities. So, I mean, I think it's exciting opportunity. I just, we just need somebody, Tim, to task us with that and to, to uh, come up with a, uh, come up with a new model. And I, I really believe that we could do it. And I really believe that the 21st century requires it. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So as we draw to a close, uh, first I want to say thank you for taking the time to be with us today. This has been really great. Um, as we come to a close, if there's somebody listening to this podcast, that's been, their interest has been peaked a little bit. What would you suggest that they do? How would they start? How would they start? It's a great question. I think starting with, um, yeah, BC Campus resources. There's a wonderful resource that um, I know, Tim, you worked with Nikki Rain on this as well. And I believe the title of this open educational resource is called Open Pedagogy in the Trades, is it? Or is yeah. it? It, it is. Yeah. And that is a fabulous, absolutely fabulous starting point. And I think there's lots of links in there to people that are already practicing this, um, you know, philosophy in their classroom and 
read it, see if it resonates with, you know, or see, even see if it, like you say, if it's something you think, okay, I'm going to give that a go. Um, but reach out to others because there's so many people that are so passionate about really shifting um, their approach and, and they love to talk about what they're doing. And I think, you know, again, it's that shared understanding. We, we probably need to think about, you know, building on what Nikki created, Nikki and Bruce, I believe it was what they created. We really need to, we need educators in the trades um, to contribute to these resources. Like I think we have, you know, you're doing a great job of really uh, building those resources there. But I think even for our new instructors, knowing that this is part now, this is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. I will keep that in mind. Duly noted. <laughs> yes. yeah. So thanks again so much for taking the time to be with us uh, on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I loved every minute. That's <laughs> oh, great. All right. Well, you heard it from Sally Vinden. Start with looking at some of those resources that BC Campus have on their website. You can find those at bccampus.ca. You can always contact me uh, through BC Campus. Uh, you can email me. You can call me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we can do moving forward in creating more awareness and a more opportunity for open pedagogy within the trades. Thanks again for listening. Take care. We'll catch you in the next episode. Oh,